Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Father, thank you that you are a powerful God, a God who saves, a God who loves us. And that you still speak to us and you still guide us and you still remind us of who you are. I pray, Lord, that that will be, uh, that this will be helpful for us today as we hear from 1 Samuel chapter 28, uh, the story about Saul. Uh, and you'll keep um, pointing us back to the, the great hope that we have in Jesus. We pray that now. Amen. Uh, it'll be helpful for you guys to have your Bibles here. I don't have slides, uh, so I'll be going referring to the Bible uh, a few times, So, especially in chapter 28. Keep it open. Uh, you know how you guys watch stuff on TV? You usually watch a series, uh, you know, Netflix or what other platform you use, uh, and you, know, you, you, you watch a few episodes and you don't know what's going on, and so there's always a series recap. I'm going to do that now. I'm going to do a series recap, just so you guys can catch up. If you've missed any talks, or if you don't know where we're at in the story, we're at the end of 1 Samuel, the book in the uh, Old Testament, uh, but uh, uh, we've taken this bird's eye view, just over eight sermons, this bird's eye view of, of really, it's going to be it's 31 chapters, uh, over eight talks. Uh, the story itself goes back a thousand years, a uh, thousand BC, three thousand years ago to a thousand BC, uh, with God's people Israel in the Old Testament, during a time when nations uh, around them all had had kings uh, that that led them and went to battle for them. Yet Israel themselves didn't have a king. It was the only nation. Uh, in their surroundings where they didn't have a king in the Middle East. Now, 1 Samuel starts with uh, a barren woman, a woman who, uh, who didn't have a child, but she was desperate for one. Her name was Hannah. Uh, we hear about her state of desperation, desperate for a child, desperate for relief from being taunted and rejected by others. She prays desperately to God, and God hears her cry. He delivers her, and she delivers a son uh, who becomes Samuel, which the book is named after uh, who is God's prophet and priest. He's a mouthpiece uh, for God. He communes with God. He's close with God. He brings God's word to the people. Hence the name 1 and 2 Samuel in our Bibles. The story begins with Hannah and Samuel. Now fast forward to chapter 8, and we hear about how even though God continues to deliver them from the enemy, they cry out to Samuel, asking Samuel, give us a human king to lead us. And in doing so, they're implying that God as their king isn't enough. They want a king to be like the nations around them. They want a warrior who will go out and fight their battles. And so God raises up Saul for that role. And Saul might look like a good pick. He's on appearances. You know, he's big, he's tall, he's handsome, he's strong. He knows how to get armies together and win battles. It's, he seems like a good choice. But it's soon revealed his heart isn't in the right place. In arrogance and pride, he takes matters into his own hands. And in chapter 15... We hear that the kingdom of God will be taken from him and passed on to another. God essentially rejects him as king. And then enter David, a fine young man with a heart after God's own heart. Although he is far from perfect himself, he does his best to honor God. He wants to seek out God and listen and obey God. And, and, and we hear about that great battle, David and Goliath, uh, in chapter 17. And, and we hear about David, how his successes and victories in battle 
And so for the past 10 chapters from 18 to 28, we hear about this going back and forth between Saul and David, learning about their character, their faith or faithlessness, and how God is at work behind the scenes in the narrative. Today, I'm going to focus here on chapter 28 as a way to finish the series, and we'll touch upon the last chapter, 31, as as we close out the book. But chapter 28 and 31 is is about Saul, his life, uh, and, and his death. And the surrounding chapters, 27, 29, and 30, are about David's life. And so we have this sort of contrast happening between uh, David and Saul in the following, in the final chapters of 1 Samuel. Now, I want to rehash all that with us, because just like the book began with the woman who was feeling desperate and crying out to God, the book ends with the king of Israel, Saul, feeling desperate, but he's far from God. You see, desperation is an interesting emotion, isn't it? Uh, I don't know about you, do you sometimes feel like when you're in a state of desperation, you, you, we often become different people? A side of us comes out where we panic, we feel uncertain, we're insecure, we're sometimes moody, scatterbrains. We want control of the situation, but we don't have control. And so we're scrambling and we're pulling out straws and hoping for something solid to lean on, to depend on, while our wor- world feels like it's crumbling beneath us. Some of us, we'd like to distract ourselves with with whatever devices, with whatever thing will bring us comfort in the moment. Others, we distance ourselves from others. We feel paralyzed, unable to eat or sleep or get anything done. We start dabbling in things that we know we, that we know it's not really good for us, but we say, oh, I've got nothing to lose anymore. Some will even put our hope in superstitions, in horoscopes, tarot cards maybe, manifesting something in the universe, hoping that things will work out our way. We do things, don't we, that we never thought we'd do in desperation, unexpected things. What are you like when you face desperate times? What or who do you turn to? Where does God want us to turn to in moments of fear and desperation, in distress? Where can we find a certain confidence in the face of fear? That's the question this passage confronts us with today. Saul's story in chapter 28 is one that's just shrouded in that fear and desperation. A king, a powerful man, once strong and confident, reduced to trembling, fearful, and and even paralyzed. Let's read why, verse 3 again, Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. Verse 4, the Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. The mighty king Saul, tall, handsome, buff, he's afraid. Terror filling his heart. Why? Well, I think there's a few things here. Firstly, he's fearful because Samuel is dead. Samuel the prophet, who was the one who anointed Saul, who was the mouthpiece of God, who gave Saul guidance, Samuel, back in chapter 15, that's the last time we heard about it, he cut ties with Saul and, and said the kingdom will be torn away, given to another. Samuel's gone. He's got no one to talk to for wisdom and guidance. Secondly, though, there's a big army on his doorstep. The Philistines, who, who through 1 Samuel, we keep hearing about them, they keep fighting with Israel. They're this big, strategic, strong military nation that's trying to take over Israel's land. He saw this great army on his doorstep, and he's afraid. But also, a third reason, I think, Verse 6, he tries to inquire of the Lord, to ask God what to do. But when he asks God, he only receives silence. He hoped God would give him some guidance through dreams, but 
It was only silence. He hoped God would give him an answer through the, the Urim, which is like an object used to by the priest. They would use this object to get a yes or no answer, essentially, on what to do. But even there, he was met with silence. He was looking to God for answers from prophets, but without Samuel, who was left? It's only silence. It sounds like it's a little bit too late. God had deserted Saul a while back, and now Saul is feeling that fear and desperation, hoping God would just show up again for him. I can't help but feel that Saul's treating God a bit like a, like a backup plan here. I don't know what else to do, so I'm finally going to go to God and ask him. It doesn't sound like he's trying very hard either. The wording doesn't give, off a, a, doesn't give off the vibe that he's begging God or pleading with God or repentant towards God. He just inquires of the Lord, like calling up the customer hotline, hoping he can talk to the boss. But there's no one on the other side. Just silence. But you can understand how he's feeling. Samuel dead, Philistines on your doorstep, silence from God. Saul dreads what tomorrow will bring. His heart is filled with fear and terror. So out of desperation, what does he do? He doesn't persist in calling out to God. He doesn't try to draw close to God. He doesn't have this revelatory moment of repentance. No, he just does whatever he thinks is appropriate to get what he wants. He turns to a medium. He tries to find a medium, a a necromancer, someone who practices the dark arts that can talk to the spirits of the dead. Verse 7, So then... Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. Like I said, we do crazy things sometimes when we're desperate, don't we? Here Saul does something that he himself has banned already. We read that. He banned it across the land. Uh, Verse 3 and 4 told us that. uh, uh, Saul expelled the mediums from the land. He did it in an effort, I'm sure, to honor God's laws. Uh, in, in the laws of God, uh, earlier in your Bible, I don't have it on the screen, but verse 9 of Deuteronomy 18, Deuteronomy 18 verse 9 says this, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who, practice, who practices divinate, divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Again, in Leviticus 19, it says, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Right. Saul knows that this is not right. Saul knows that this is a disobedience to God, that it makes him unclean before God. But he's desperate. He wants to find a medium that will, so that he can bring back Samuel. Uh, he, he asks his men to find one, right? And it's very interesting because they seem to have an answer like straight away, like, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's, there's no looking up Google, no sort of, oh, I don't know, immediate response, Endor, they reply. There's a medium down in Endor. So all he knows he's being a bit naughty here, so he tries to hide himself in a disguise, goes out night, goes with a couple of his men to visit this this woman, the woman is rightly suspect of him. Are you a government spy? Are you trying to bust me? If I, if I am able to do this, are you going to put me in jail? That's what she's thinking. So what does Saul say in verse 10? Saul swore to her by the Lord. As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. You can, it's dripping with irony, isn't it? He, he swears an oath by the Lord. God, Yahweh, on God's life as he seeks help from a source that God himself has condemned? Sometimes in our desperation we say crazy things. 
that just don't make sense. He asks for Samuel, and when he sees Samuel's spirit, she realizes who this masked man is. It's King Saul. Saul, in his desperation, deceives this woman. Now, before we go on the question, we, we all, we're all thinking right now, right? Are we for, is this for real? Are we talking about ghosts now at church? Before you write this off, right, as a fairy tale, I, I think there is something here that we in our modern Western uh, based mindsets don't often appreciate. We do live in a spiritual world. A big chunk of our world believes spirits are at play around us, not just in Eastern cultures too. You can go down to Byron Bay and talk to some people. You'll meet a lot of people who are very in touch with the spiritual world. I was listening to the testimony of one woman who um, was really big in the New Age movement. She called herself a shaman. She shared about her practices in shamanism. She'd go on drum journeys, getting in touch with the higher, mid, and lower realms. This is what she was saying in her testimony, talking to spirit guides, being able to converse with these spirits. And she's a believer now, praise God. Um, but it was through those spirit journeys that she met God. And it's wild um, because she realized those spirit guides that she was talking to were actually demonic and evil. Uh, it, it's, you have to hear that story. But you know, it's not something we often hear in our circles, is it? And my point is with this, that there is an unseen world around us. That I don't think we can ignore or just avoid. But more importantly, if we were to write this story off, all right, if you were just like, this is gibberish, this is you know, a ghost story, we have to ask ourselves, what else in the Bible would we consider to be true and false? Uh, I mean, we, we hear in the Bible about angelic beings appearing. We hear about a man being eaten by a big fish. We hear about the miracles of Jesus even. His very resurrection, a man coming back to life. I mean, this isn't so far-fetched when we actually understand the whole Bible as a whole. The way this story is told isn't, some, isn't told in a way that's a legend. It's not told in a way that it's a story to scare kids. It's, it happened. It, it tells, it's told in a way to show us how far Saul would go in his desperation. And now let me add one thing while we're on this topic. While it might seem like this woman has superpowers and can, and can talk to the dead, I think her, her screaming and realizing who Samuel was tells us something. Um, she might be a con woman maybe, but more likely she's someone who is like the pagan nations around her, connecting with spirits, but most likely not good spirits, uh, and explains why she's known as a medium. Okay, So I'm only speculating, but what we can at least gather from this is God actually allows this to happen for her to, to be able to conjure up Samuel's spirit um, through this woman to get a message across to Saul. Right? God is doing this uh, through this woman. Now, we haven't heard from Samuel, have we, since chapter 15, a while back. But he, he, this is his, sort of his last curtain call before the book ends, where he shows up as a spirit dressed in a robe that seems recognizable, an old man, visibly annoyed. He's got this grumpy grandpa vibe coming on. Why are you disturbing me? Why are you bothering me by bringing me up? God has already deserted you, Saul. And so Saul tells Samuel that he's distressed, he's feeling fearful, he's desperate, he's turning to talk to the dead instead. And Samuel shares with him that his actions led to God not only deserting him, but becoming his enemy even, due to his disobedience, when he didn't fulfill God's commands with the Amalekites back in chapter 15. God has handed over his kingdom to the next. This time he's naming him to the next, to David, the next king of Israel. And tomorrow... Saul, you will not succeed in battle. You will die. That's the message Samuel, ghost Samuel had for him. Now Saul was desperate and fearful. And instead of pursuing God, he wanted an outcome that only God can give. He hoped that if he rubbed the lamp the right way, God the genie would give him what he wanted, deliver him from battle, 
you can, as we read this, you can tell he didn't really want God. He just wanted God to deliver him. And with Samuel's rebuke of Saul in this moment, we feel a hopelessness and misery, don't we? We feel like Saul's just like defeated. Uh, the warning perhaps too, uh, you know, that, that if you continue to keep rejecting God in your life again and again and again, you keep rejecting him. And thinking then that if you come to him in your last moment of desperation that it will work out for you, well, you need to think again. If there is no relationship with God and you've rejected him again and again, why should God respond with anything but silence? I mean, it's like the person who is an enemy of God all, all of his or her life and then is terrified of death, so becomes a Christian without any real relationship, without any real repentance, without any genuine faith, just so they can go to heaven? It's not how it works. Someone who wants the gifts of life, but not the giver of life himself. In seeking Samuel as a backup, Saul's heart is exposed. Deep down, he wasn't wanting God. He wanted what God could give him. And so Saul here, he, he realizes he's been abandoned by God. And in chapter 31, the next day, he goes to battle. His army falls, knowing the Philistines are closing in on him. He falls upon his sword and he dies. He takes his own life. But back here in chapter 28, after hearing, hearing Samuel prophesy those words to him, he falls to the floor filled with fear. The once powerful king now trembling in terror. Fear that he has no control over the outcome of his future. Fear because tomorrow his life will be taken from him. Fear. A fear we can only conclude comes from the truth that God has abandoned him. And we're given this information, right, about, this, about the woman. She comes back, the, the medium. She returns back to see Saul on the floor, refusing to eat. Is he, is he sulking right now? Or, you know, I, we don't know. Or maybe there's that whole brain and gut connection, you know, where you just don't feel like your, your, your stomach is churning. He probably wants to poo right now. He's just scared. He's, he's got that sort of fear. But that's not the interesting part. I think that's interesting. But what's interesting is what, what's happening. She says in verse 21, Look, your servant has obeyed you. Verse 22, and she says, now listen to your servant. He refuses, but his men urge him, and then he listens to them. The point is we're left with this interesting wordplay here. And I think it's on purpose. I think it's intentional. The king who is meant to obey and listen to God in his final moments as a defeated, trembling man on the floor is listening to the voice of a pagan woman. The one strong and respected king of Israel is heart has been exposed to us here see throughout one samuel the big theme for us has been who will be the one enthroned over god's people god wants a king who will follow god who will obey god's commands who will be a man of god after god's heart and point the people to god back to god people of god back to god but as we go through the the book of one samuel saul again and again shows us how far he has fallen from that ideal king and while david isn't perfect the key difference is, is, is we see again and again is that David seeks to follow God's heart. While Saul, Saul again and again is only pursuing what his heart desires. His faith is not in God, but in his own power, in horses and chariots, his armor and his sword. And the more we see that, the more we see how much that contrasts with where the book begins. A story of desperation. A woman called Hannah who in faith cries out to God, who for her is a life marked by humility and faithfulness. Her deliverance, David's too, when he went to battle, came about because of their trust and their faithfulness and humble posture before our mighty God. 
Yet Saul's downfall, this king's downfall, is marked by belief in his own strength, his own arrogance, his unfaithfulness and rejection of God. We're left really asking, where do we find ourselves in those moments of fear and desperation? If we could look back on our own lives, the way we're told of Saul's, what will future generations say about you in those crucial moments when you faced trials and hardship, when you didn't know what tomorrow would bring? Who was the king enthroned over your life? Was it God? Will it, or was it, was it you? Will your life be marked by faith in him? Humility before him, the one who is truly in control, a life of trust and dependence and obedience, faith in the face of fear. I do hope in our desperation we won't feel the need to talk to fortune tellers or tarot card readers or turn to our devices that are unhelpful or at worst sinful. The, the truth is we don't need to talk to the dead to get confidence about what tomorrow will bring. There is one who has truly come back from the dead. He didn't come back as a ghost. He was resurrected in a physical body and he spoke to his disciples. And there were many witnesses who saw him. Jesus, our Lord, he saw his disciples. You know the words that he said to his disciples? He said, peace be with you. It was not a word of condemnation, but a word that gives confidence. And when we trust in Jesus, when we follow him as our king, there will be peace. We don't have to fear what tomorrow brings. Even if death is on our doorstep, something suddenly unexpected throws us into a spiral and we find ourselves feeling that anxiety and panic and we start scrambling and attempted to turn to our quick fix solutions and addictions, keep running back to our king. There is no promise that faith means you'll have victory over every battle or that we won't face the realities of sin and brokenness in our world. We'll still face those things. That stuff is real. It may happen still. But amidst all that, there is one who loves us, one who has gone before us, one who has faced the death that we deserve so we could now have life, life with God forever. Keep running to this King, our King Jesus. Keep trusting Him, even in our desperate times, because even death has been swallowed up in victory. And in faith, may we echo the words that we read earlier in Romans 15. Thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, our risen King. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have Jesus. Thank you that he is the king enthroned over the heavens and the earth. That Lord, his life and his death and his resurrection was enough to save us, was sufficient to give us eternity with you a restored relationship with our good and great God. Help us to remember that truth, Lord. Help us to live by that truth so that when we face the, the difficulties of life, when we face the struggles, when, we're, when we feel desperate at times, when we might even have to face the realities of death, help us to know, Lord, that we have a hope in you, that we can have confidence in the face of fear, Lord, remind us of, your, of that truth. Remind us of your goodness in life. Uh, and, and, and Lord, in those moments, that will, by your Spirit, help us to keep trusting and having faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.